uh, Romans 3, uh, from verse 9 uh, to the end of the chapter. Uh, This passage is the anchor point to the book of Romans. It resolves everything that came before, and it shapes everything that comes after it. Uh, This is Paul's great articulation of the work of Christ. As well as anchoring the book of Romans, I think this passage can act as an anchor for our Christian lives. Uh, So often as Christians, we can swing uh, between the extremes of spiritual insecurity to spiritual overconfidence. When I'm feeling spiritually insecure, I can just have a a, a vague sense of spiritual unease. There may not be any specific thing, but just a general feeling that I'm not pleasing God. That's a time when doubts about myself come in as are accusations from the evil one. Am I really a Christian? Am I really living a Christian life that honors God? Why is my Christian life not as fruitful as that of X or Y or Z? Uh, The other extreme is spiritual overconfidence, uh, a feeling that I have it together. Uh, My Bible reading, my prayer life, my discipline are all going well. I'm content, but I'm also in danger that I'm confident in myself rather than in Christ. Our passage today, I think, is one of the most helpful passages in the New Testament to anchor us. Not insecure, but secure in Christ. And not overconfident. In fact, not confident in ourselves at all, but confident in Christ. Uh, Three very simple points. Uh, First, the law cannot save. The law cannot save. Uh, One of the best ways to understand where we are in Romans is, uh, paradoxically, to look at a verse in Galatians. Uh, So uh, can we have the the slide, please? Thanks, James. So here's Galatians 3, verse 11. It is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Now, hopefully you read that and you can see very similar themes to what we've been seeing in Romans. Uh, The point that Paul makes in Galatians 3 is no one is justified by the law. Why? Well, simply because God justifies, justifies by faith. In other words, the fact that God justifies by faith proves that justification can't happen by the law. One follows the other. And these two verses, as you can see, have, oh, sorry, this verse, the two halves of the verse have equivalents in Romans. Romans 1.17, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It's like the second half of Galatians 3.11. Romans 3.20, by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The first half of Galatians 3.11. Now, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail. All I want us to notice is that in Galatians, Paul moves from one idea to the other directly. You can't be justified by the law because God justifies by faith. In Romans, what does Paul do? Well, he reverses the order, uh, but... Perhaps more significantly, these two statements are not next to each other like they are in Galatians. They're they're separated by two chapters. And those two chapters kind of provide the link between the two halves, the two ideas. In other words, Paul has written 118 to 319 to prove, to establish the point 
that justification by the law is impossible. He's not just saying one follows the other, he's showing why justification by the law is impossible. That's why, for example, in 118 to 319, there's only one uh, passing reference uh, to Jesus in this section. Uh, the, the argument is essentially negative. You cannot be justified by the law. And Paul proves that. He proves it by demonstrating and exposing again and again human nature in all its sinfulness and hypocrisy. And he proves it by scriptural citation. And that's what he does at the beginning of our section today. Uh, Paul gives us a collection of verses. You can take the slide off. Thanks, Jeff. He gives us a collection of verses drawn from different parts of the Old Testament, Psalms, Proverbs, and Isaiah, to show that uh, chapter 3, verse 10, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one is righteous. No, not one. We have all sinned. And more than that, he's shown us, verse 9, that Jew and Greek are all under sin. Now, that's a, a, an important phrase. We could just pass over it uh, because it doesn't, mean that, it doesn't just mean that we're sinful or sinners. It means more than that. It means that we are controlled by sin. We are slaves by sin. The NIV makes it uh, explicit. Uh, we are under the power of sin. Uh, Paul's going to come back to that idea in, in Romans 6. But at this stage, we need to see that the natural human being is powerless because they are under sin. They are controlled by sin. We have all sinned, and we are all under sin. And so we are guilty before God, accountable to Him. So the conclusion, verse 19, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. The law declares our guilt, shows us our sin. And so the law cannot save, verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The law speaks to those under the law. If the law, if God's law cannot justify, well, that means no principle of human morality can make us right. Uh, Paul expands on that idea in chapter 4, where the, the law-specific language becomes the language of works in general. If the works of God's law can't save us, well, then no system of works or worth, no human moral system can bring salvation. Now, as we read on in Romans, uh, we'll see that that's not all that he says about God's law. But at this point, we need to grasp that whatever place the law has in the Christian life, it's not for justification. That's not what it was given for. And if you try and use it for that, it will simply expose your sin. The law can't save, and that means we have no hope but the wrath of God. And we saw the wrath of God in chapter 118. See it just before in our passage, chapter 3, verse 5, God will inflict wrath on us. So we're under the power of sin. We're guilty before God, and we are under God's wrath. And there is nothing we can do. Even God's good law cannot save us. All it does is more clearly highlight our desperate situation. Now, we, we know how the story ends. Uh, we know, uh, you know wonderfully what Paul is about to say, but we, we need to be crystal clear on the, uh, on the problem. 
Humanity is in a desperate situation. We cannot save ourselves. That was true of us before we turned to Christ. It's true of the people we'll meet on mission in a few weeks' time. It's true of our friends and family. We need to feel the weight of the problem to grasp the significance of the solution. Salvation is impossible. We can't save ourselves. The law can't save us. But God can save us. Our second point is God's salvation in Christ is completely effective. God's salvation in Christ is completely effective. Romans 3, 21 to 26, perhaps the most famous passage in the most famous book in the Bible. Uh, it unfolds for us the work of Christ and the nature of our salvation, perhaps uh, unlike any other passage. Uh, last week, I uh, mentioned Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, preaching four sermons on 118. Uh, well, he spent nine sermons on this passage. Um, again, sadly, we're a little bit more pressed for time. And so we can't go through every detail. If you uh, stay on for, for third year, if you do Romans in third year, you will go through every detail. Um, what I want us to grasp this morning, very simply, is that God's salvation is perfect. God's salvation is perfect. It's completely effective. It's completely effective, and that is because of three things. It's powerful, it's just, and it's free. It's powerful in that it deals with every aspect of our problem. Okay, I'm about to give you three subpoints of a subpoint, so maybe I am in New Testament 3 mode. But um, uh, we've seen that we are, we are under the power of sin. In Christ, though, verse 24, there is redemption. Christ's death sets us free from the power of sin. Redemption is slavery language, it's deliverance at a cost. It speaks of freedom and payment. Later in chapter 6, Paul will say, we have been set free from sin. The power of sin over us is decisively and definitively broken. We're guilty before God. Well, in Christ, through, uh, in Christ through faith, we have righteousness from God. Verse 22, righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 24, we're justified by his grace as a gift. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We're under God's wrath. But verse 25, God put Christ forward as a propitiation by his blood. Christ's sacrifice fully and finally deals with God's wrath. We don't need to fear God's wrath anymore. We've been reconciled to him. The remedy matches the problem at each and every point. It is completely effective. It's also just. It's striking when you read the start of verse 23, all have sinned, and then you read the start of verse 24, and are justified. The law says, all have sinned and all will die. The gospel says, all have sinned and are justified. But this is not a legal fiction. It's not sort of God just uh, making things up. Uh, it's not as if he's brushing sin under the carpet. No, he has dealt with our sin. The atonement in Christ, the sacrifice of Christ bearing God's wrath, shows, verse 25, God's righteousness 
because in his divine forbearance, he'd passed over former sins. Sins were forgiven in the Old Testament, wonderfully they were, but not dealt with as they now have been through the death of Christ. The cross shows God's righteousness in the past. It also shows it in the present, verse 26, to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ Jesus. God is just and justifier of the ungodly because of the work of Christ. The grace of God comes to us because of the work of God in Christ. So God's salvation might be apart from the law, but it's still just. Verse 31, it establishes the law. God's salvation is powerful. It's just. It's also free. Verse 24, we are justified by his grace as a gift. God's salvation comes to us not on the basis of our work, what we do, but purely his gift. Now, we'll think about faith in a moment, but before we even think about the, the contrast between faith and works, we can see that God's salvation, its, its fundamental characteristic is it is a gift that is given to us. It's something we receive. It is not something we earn. And so God's salvation is utterly effective. It's powerful. Deals with every aspect of our problem. It's just. And it's free. So trust God. Trust God and not yourself. In the final section, verses 27 to 31, Paul shows how this salvation rules out boasting. It rules out boasting because it's not something that we achieve but something that we receive by faith. We don't work, we trust God. And so all boasting is excluded. Verse 27, what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By the, uh, a law of works? No, but by the law, Paul probably means here principle, the principle of faith. Again and again, it is our faith in Christ that Paul stresses in this section. 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, for all who believe. 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. 26, just and justified of the one who has faith in Jesus. He's going to spend the next chapter uh, uh, outlining what actually faith is. But at this point, we can see that what have we done other than receive God's gift in Christ? And if we've only received it, how can we boast? How can we be confident in ourselves? How can we look down on other people? Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 4. What do you have that you did not receive? If you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? This passage, perhaps more than any other in the New Testament, lays out the depth and perfection of God's work in Christ for our salvation. It has to be the bedrock of our Christian lives and our Christian ministries. We're here today because of God, not because of us, because of his powerful, just, and free salvation. Uh, there are times uh, when you will be discouraged by the ongoing effect of sin in your life. That sin you just can't seem to shake. Remember that God has redeemed you in Christ from your sin. Yes, it still remains in your body. Yes, it's a battle you have to fight every day. But one day it will be fully gone forever. 
The lie the devil tells you is that it does have power over you and that you cannot fight it. That is a lie. You can. The battle might be intense, but God has redeemed you in Christ from your sin. You are under grace. You are no longer under sin. There are times when you'll worry whether God is still angry with you. How could he not be angry with you when you failed so badly again? Remember that God has dealt with his wrath in Christ. He's not covered up your sin. He's actually dealt with it. Yes, there is a day of wrath to come. But as Paul shows in Romans 5, God has done the difficult thing of justifying us and reconciling us when we were his enemies, when we were sinners. Now that we're his friends, how much more confident can we be of our salvation on the day of wrath? There are times when the devil will remind you of your guilt. You sin, we all sin, we feel guilty, we feel ashamed before God. It can be a crushing feeling. Uh, Maybe uh, you struggle to pray, maybe you feel like an utter failure. I'm training for gospel ministry and I struggle with this sin. Remember that God has justified you. He has declared you to be right with him. The end time verdict has already been passed. It's already happened. You have been declared right with God. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Remember his grace and remember the wonderful logic of the gospel. All have sinned and are justified. So don't be despondent. Don't be insecure. Don't be arrogant or self-confident. Remember his grace. Trust his son. You have been redeemed. Your sins have been atoned for. You have been justified. Let the work of Christ anchor your life and ministry. Amen.